Good morning. It is good to be back. Well, for me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good to be here. It's, um, you know, it was a blessing to be in Israel for, uh, for 10 days. We were out there, well, not uh, really, it's, uh, what, what was it, eight days, because one day uh, is, uh, is travel getting there, one day traveling, coming back, and, uh, but we enjoyed the time that we um, were there in Israel. It was a joy uh, to be with uh, my brother Moses. Where are you, Moses? You stand up there. Moses back there, uh, Jeanette, and then Jamie from Refuge. Um, so us four went to um, Israel. That was uh, March 15th through the 25th, and it was just a, a wonderful a wonderful time, and uh, we, but we went with 105 uh, in total, so 100 other people from several other churches, and uh, we had two busloads, and we traveled throughout Israel, and so before we get into the message, by the way, today is Palm Sunday, and, and it's, and it's the, the first day that's considered to be Passion Week for Jesus Christ, and so we're going to get into that this morning, uh, but prior to getting into uh, the word, by the way, we're going to be in Luke um, chapter 19 is where we'll be. If you want to turn in your Bibles there, as you're doing that, I want to share with you some slides and explain to you some things that um, we saw and experienced in Israel. And so we, uh, we did start out at LAX. We took off from LAX, flew to Istanbul, um, had a layover there, and then went into Tel Aviv, Israel. From there, we went to Netanya, which is just to the north, stayed there for the night since we got in a little late um, on that day. And the next day is when we went to Caesarea Maritima, which if you keep going with the slides, perhaps it'll come up. And I'll explain to you some things that uh, are going to come up on the screen behind me. There's Jeanette and, and Moses and enjoying our flight on Turkish Airlines, um, which I, I, I would much prefer uh, El Al, uh, which is an Israel um, uh, airline. But there right there is, uh, is Caesarea Maritima, which is on the coast uh, just north of Tel Aviv. Uh, this is, by the way, where King, that's a sarcophagus there. Um, in right, almost there. No, right there. All right. <laughs> um, that is um, Herod the Great's personal pool that is carved out of the rock along the Mediterranean. Imagine that. So you can imagine he would, he would go there, and of course they would stand guard over him, but he would enjoy the pools there that, uh, that you see carved out of the rock. Um, to the north of, of that... Uh, were the chariot races. So there is uh, an actual stadium, and uh, the majority of it is still intact. You could see the outline of it, um, and it's just absolutely amazing. There's an amphitheater um, just uh, to, as you're looking at the pool there to the left, um, there is an amphitheater, um, which the people would see the entertaining that's going on, and beyond the, um, that, they would see the Mediterranean. They would see all of this. And so that's where we went first. You can keep going. And there's many slides, and we went to many places throughout the time that we were there. Uh, that's there in Caesarea Maritima. Um, there is Elijah. So we went to Mount Carmel, and uh, that's overlooking the Valley of Megiddo, or Jezreel, uh, just beautiful, lush farmland, truly a land of milk and honey. Those are uh, graves that are um, actually on the side of the road. They're no longer in use. That is the Sea of Galilee. Um, that is Megiddo. So you can imagine that's where the armies of the world will gather together against Israel. That is Gideon Springs. Um, that is Nazareth Village. Uh, what good can come out of Nazareth? Well, our Lord came out of Nazareth, right? And um, those are the southern steps. That, those are steps that we know for a fact that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ walked. And so it's not something that uh, uh, our guide would say, well, we believe this to be. Um, he could say, and we can say, 
beyond a shadow of a doubt that uh, Jesus, I think it's the next slide perhaps that shows the actual steps. They're, they're there. Uh, no, that's the Temple Mount, but actually that's my fault because they're not in chronological order, you know, as far as that's concerned. But that's the Temple Mount. That's where the temple was. I keep going. There's more pictures. You cannot pray up there. You cannot take your Bible up there, which is interesting, City of David, um, because uh, the Muslims are in control, and so they do not allow any of that. And you will literally be taken into custody if you if you are found praying or taking any kind of uh, like a Bible scripture or anything up there, which is interesting. That's oh, that right there. So we went through Hezekiah's tunnel. Um, Hezekiah's tunnel, um, it, it's uh, something that we've read about, and uh, it, it took us record time. We got through in 14 minutes. The rest of the team, I think Moses, you got through in what, 17, 18? He was, uh, he was back there. He was pulling up the rear. He was the caboose, making sure that everyone went through. We would turn off our flashlights because it's completely dark in there. It's carved out of the stone. Um, and we got through that. That was, that was great to go through, but it wasn't just us. It was like a, about 20 people or maybe 15 that went through um, that chose to do that out of the 105 that went, but it was, it was fun. Um, the next um, slide, I think, is a city of... Dave. Oh, no, the Pool of Siloam. So they're excavating um, the remainder of the Pool of Siloam. It used to be that little green patch that's there. That's the only part that was exposed, and now they have, um, they have found that the pool, which we knew, but the Pool of Siloam, they actually found um, just the, the remnant of it as far as that excavator is, uh, can be seen. And so at some point, uh, we'll, we'll see all of it the way it was in the time of Christ. So you can continue to go. There's just so, those are the southern steps right there, which we know for a fact that Jesus walked. Uh, as he entered into uh, the, um, the courts of the Gentiles and the temple area. We can keep going. That's in Shiloh, uh, where the tabernacle stood uh, for, what was it, 369 years, I believe it was. Um, <clears throat> she, uh, with her family, in fact, she was a little a little girl when she came in 1978 I think it was when they came and they found Shiloh and they found it was confirmed that that was exactly where the tabernacle was and I think uh, as we go along you'll see the picture of the area down below if you pause there down below and it's hard to distinguish but um, there is the place where the um, the perimeter of the tabernacle itself um, can be seen. So you can go down there and see where the tab tabernacle stood. Keep going. Oh, Yad Vashem. This is a Holocaust museum. Truly just heartbreaking. And at the same time, knowing that God is faithful to his people because they have returned. You know, um, we'll keep going. I'll, I'll stop you at some point. This is the Judean wilderness. And this is what's called Genesis land. And we, uh, we experienced the hospitality. You can keep going. The hospitality of Abraham and Eliezer. Uh, this is uh, just a tent that overlooks the Judean wilderness. And we, en we enjoyed some time there, some camels. And uh, we rode everywhere. So if you go to Israel, that's what you ride on everywhere you go. Um, just kidding. Uh, this is the old city. This is the lion's gate. As you see in the upper left-hand corner, you see what kind of resembles a lion. Not really, but that, that's the, the lion's gate in the old city. Go ahead and keep going. The room of the Last Supper, we went there. And uh, the next slide, I believe, shows that. That, Of course, they built a church over that. They do that. Um, this is uh, King David's tomb. This is the outer portion of it. And then the next slide, you'll see the actual tomb that is David's tomb. It's interesting. We'll go from that to the Western Wall, which is right there. Um, the Israelites, they pray in those areas, believing that they're closer to God. So it's interesting. You know that you can't get any closer to God than you are right now in Christ, right? 
There's, there's no location that brings you closer to Christ. He is present with you wherever you go, which is interesting because the Israelites, even today, they, they, uh, their eyes are veiled and uh, they cannot, uh, they, they do not understand. It's interesting um, that they do not see Jesus as the Messiah. Uh, and so um, they go to these places and pray. So that's the Western Wall. A lot of people visiting there. Jesus praying, little children being shown. <clears throat> that is Engedi. So Engedi, uh, y'all know what the significance of Engedi is. Remember uh, uh, David, and when King Saul was was uh, chasing him, and where he hid was in Engedi. I think the the next slide you'll see just how rocky it is. Yeah. So Gideon, or I mean, uh, King David and his men, it would be pretty, pretty easy to hide from King Saul and his men in, in that kind of terrain. So that's what we saw, and we even saw an Ibex, and I, I believe we'll see that in the next slide. There he is, our friend, and he was walking right along with us. This is Masada, the Jews' last stand uh, against the Romans. <coughs> okay, stop there. So I read, that's our guide, his name's Jesse, and I read, I was reading there in Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14, and so I read through those verses, and, uh, and after I read through those verses, he said, and I am an example of God's fulfillment of this word, because he is a Jew, and, and it's like, uh, Pastor uh, David Zamora and I, we, we locked eyes, and he, he was like, you know, like looking at me like, I wonder, he's got to listen to what he's saying, you know? He's got to think about these things. Um, and he acknowledged that, God's faithfulness. And um, so it, it's awesome, you know, as, as more Christians go and they take tours of the Holy Land, and um, these uh, these israelites are exposed to the word of god and the new covenant um perhaps some will come to faith and um you know pray for jesse you know that that he would come to the saving knowledge of jesus christ so keep going we, we could be here for i mean there's there's tons masada there yeah i just keep it rolling masada and you can see where the Romans around, they set up encampments to besiege Masada, um, the, uh, the Israelites. And, um, oh, the Dead Sea. That's Moses, Jamie, and Jeanette <laughs> having fun floating in the, uh, in the Dead Sea. So we went there. You can just keep it rolling. Yeah. yeah and then Moses and, and a friend that he made blowing the shafar. At least making an attempt, right? Uh, oh, Mount of Olives. Uh, Kidron Valley. So we're going to talk about that. Mount of Olives is where we're standing. Uh, Palm Sunday Road goes down to the Garden of Gethsemane to the right or to the north. And then you can see the eastern wall there, the Kidron Valley. And then you go up and to the north to Golgotha and to the Garden Tomb. And where that dome is, is not the temple. But the temple will be built uh, upon the Temple Mount. And, uh, and so that's what you're looking at right there. The Eastern Wall. And that's the Eastern Gate. I think there's a close, closer view that's overlooking uh, from the... Um, that's the Eastern Gate right there. So that gate um, <clears throat> is where Jesus will walk through. Now, the Muslims have turned that into a graveyard because they've attempt, made every attempt to defile that area. Uh, they don't believe, but at the same time, they wanted to make sure that, you know, just in case Jesus comes back and, and he fulfills that, we're going to defile this so, so he doesn't walk through that. Well, Jesus knows a thing or two about uh, graves and overcoming the grave, right? <laughs> so that's nothing for him, right? He'll part the way there as he parted the Red Sea and go right into the Eastern Gate and enter into uh, the temple. And so <clears throat> that's, that's what we see there. 
Yeah, you can keep going. Yeah. A few more. Garden tomb. It's it's empty. He is risen. Are we stuck? Yeah. All right, that's that's all right. It, don't worry about it. Yeah. There, there's so much. I mean, I, I just selected a few pictures, uh, and I'm saying I'm telling you a few pictures. We went to uh, the northern area, north of the Sea of Galilee, into the Golan Heights. Uh, we saw bunkers. We saw areas that were previously occupied by Syria and were taken over by um, Israel in the Six Day War. Uh, we went to the base of Mount Hermon, and it was it was cold. It was very cold up there. We went to uh, Caesarea Philippi. Uh, where uh, uh, Pan, uh, the, the Greek god, was worshipped. And, um, and so that was where Jesus asked his disciples, whom do the, do the people say that I am? And then he asked them, whom do you say that I am? And, uh, and so this is a place where they have niches where they would put Pan. By the way, Pan is the uh, god of fright, where we get our word pandemonium or pandemic from and uh so that's golan heights right there um it hailed on us everyone abandoned us see moses and i we we found tunnels and so you know we had to go into the tunnels and when we came out the only one that was faithful jeanette thank you so much she was holding the umbrella literally and, and she was like this I, I I look up and and on the umbrella there's like all this hail and cats everywhere. That's the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Moses at the Sea of Galilee, and so she was like f- almost frozen stiff, right, Jeanette? And uh, we came out. When we came out, it was hailing and, and it looked like that, and everyone was gone. We thought, oh man, they left us up here, and we had to run down to the to the bus and and uh, and we took off from there. Um, the, the Sea of Galilee, we went on a ride there, so. Anyway, so much. Let me ask you this, all right? These are the things that we experienced. They say that um, one time there, like a 10-day tour, is worth one whole year of, of Bible college, you know, because you just see things. You're there. You experience it. You open up God's Word. You have studies in all of these different locations. L- let me ask you this. By a show of hands, how many of you are interested in going to Israel? You're not committing, so don't worry about that. All right, a lot of you are. So what I hope to do um, is, is go with a group um, and go in a couple years. Um, this, this one costs $3,700, and so I, I don't know what it'll be in a couple years. Let's say, for instance, and I'll just round up, it's 4000 right? It takes 20, 20 months, and so per person, if you set aside... $200 a month toward that, it's a lot easier than, of course, coming up with the full amount uh, or even half of it closer to it. So that kind of puts things in perspective. If you're able to do that, I would encourage you to start putting that money aside because until, it, you know, as long as the Lord tarries, we plan on, on doing another tri- trip in a, couple, in a couple years. And so I would encourage you to, to do that. So I just wanted to share that with you. Uh, oh, that is... Um, Ancestry of Philippi. That's another adventure that we took, Moses and I. We found a, um, uh, a flour mill. And um, so, another deviation from <laughs> the group. It was a lot of fun. You go with Moses and I, and you'll have plenty of fun because uh, we explore and we look at things and we, uh, we just had a great time. So, um, <clears throat> I'm also regaining my voice. And so, we're going into this message with. Uh, uh, with a, a bit of a strain as far as my voice is concerned, but the Lord will carry us through, and and uh, we're going to celebrate, and we're going to learn more about Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem um, on this day uh, about 2,000 years ago, which is the uh, the first portion of, as I said at the very beginning, of Passion Week. And so let's get to Scripture, and if you have any questions, um, as I said on Wednesday, you can see Jeanette, Jamie, Moses, myself, and, uh, and we're more than happy to take you through and talk to you about some of the areas that, 
um, we visited and uh, the things that we experienced uh, in, in Israel. All right, so Hosanna. Hosanna, save us, O Lord, save us. Hallelujah, what a Savior. You know, we can cry out and know that we are saying those things, crying out to the one true God, the one who is able to save us, uh, our Redeemer, the one who has forgiven us of all of our sins and knowing that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the title of this morning's message is Hosanna. Let's begin by reading in Luke chapter 19 and verse 28. Luke chapter 19 and verse 28 says, When he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I also want to read in John, which gives us a little more detail as far as this account is concerned, this This time, this moment, in John chapter 12. The next day, in John 12, 12, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. (coughs) So they took... Branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Which is Zechariah 9.9. Just if you thought that perhaps his disciples had figured out exactly who Jesus was, even though he had told them, perhaps they, they understood who he was at this time. Let this be commentary on that. In verse, verse 16, says his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Father, we certainly hope that the world has gone after Jesus. Lord, uh, we know that you're You desire that none should perish, but that every single person would reach repentance, would come to that place of surrendering their lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, believing on him and who he is, the Messiah, the Son of God, who came to die in our place to atone for our sin, that we may be reconciled unto you, God the Father, through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ, therefore knowing salvation by grace as we express our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 
Father, I pray that perhaps that would draw us closer to you, your people, Lord, as we're reminded of the victory that you have come to secure over sin and death. Lord, that we would be reminded and put things back into perspective as to what really matters in this life and in whom we can place completely our lives and trust in knowing that you are faithful and that you certainly do love us with an everlasting love. And so, Father, speak to us this morning, I pray. Give us understanding of what we have before us. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone who does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that perhaps today, Lord, I would hope that today would be the day of salvation for them. So, Lord, thank you for this moment. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Hosanna, save us, O Lord, save us, hallelujah, what a Savior, oh, a Savior indeed we know in Jesus Christ alone. As we read these two accounts, and all four Gospels give us the account of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, we read about these, this time when he rode into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey. We, we see him, you and I see him. As the Son of God who came to die for our sins to secure victory over sin and death because we believe that Jesus is indeed the Son of God who did not come to reign in that moment but to serve as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. But at the time, we need to understand that that was not what the world was seeing. That is not what the people even who were rejoicing, who were uh, proclaiming, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were not crying out because he was the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the Son of God. But because they desired that he would secure their victory over the Romans to deliver them from oppression and to reign over them politically. After all, they looked to him. He had healed the lame, the blind, the mute, the deaf. He fed the multitudes and cast out demons. Jesus had no fear of the authorities and spoke and taught and testified of the truth without reservation and with authority. And by the way, he raised the dead from the grave, as we just read and we're reminded of the fact that he rose, he raised Lazarus from the grave. We know Jesus is indeed the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But Jesus is entering as the Passover sacrifice. He's introducing himself as the one who will atone for the sin of the world. This is what he must first do. And what he desires beyond anything else, is that he would reign in our hearts as he desired to reign in the hearts of all the people that were around him in that day. And if he does reign in our hearts as Lord and Savior, then he would reign in our hearts eternally. The city of Jerusalem at this point was, uh, was filled with people. Tens of thousands of people had, had come in from everywhere. They were preparing for the Passover, and there was an air of excitement. You know, and that's why we approach Palm Sunday in a way that we ourselves come to it with full knowledge. For them, they were excited because they thought not only were they excited about observing the Passover, but now those who were gathering around Jesus were excited because perhaps he is the one who was going to deliver them from Roman oppression. They were excited. They were excited about the anticipation of Jesus delivering them. John 12, 19 says, So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. They, they said this to one another. <laughs> we're, we're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. That is indeed, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is what Jesus 
desires that all reach repentance. You see, Jesus came to testify of the truth. In today's day, there is so much deception, manipulation. There's, there's so much twisting of the truth, making it something that it is not. Gaslighting. There's so much of that going on that we ought to be desiring above all to hear truth. Not to be have our ears tickled, being satisfied in our flesh, but we ought to desire what is true. And this is what Jesus came to testify of, and that is of the truth, which he stated over 75 times. That is prophecy that was fulfilled just in Christ alone. Zechariah 9.9, we read it. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You know, that was written by Zechariah 500 years before that actually took place. 500 years before for three years, Jesus had taught, corrected, performed miracle after miracle, showing, demonstrating that he was indeed the Messiah, the Son of God. That, that's the whole reason that we would believe that the people would come to believe that he is the Son of God. In fact, just days before Palm Sunday, Jesus had gone to the, the home of Mary and Martha. And their brother Lazarus had died. But as we know, Jesus raised him from the dead. And according to John 12, 17 and 18, this was the reason why there were so many people gathering around him. They remembered that, oh, he has power. He has authority to even raise the dead from the grave. These people at this point were in awe. But they were in awe because of the, the miracles that he had performed the power that perhaps he had and the authority that was given to him by the Lord in order to reign politically. To heal, heal people, to give sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, speech to the mute. Food to the hungry, water to the thirsty. But Jesus' entry into the city of Jerusalem on this very day and in this manner was not something that the people had planned to do. You see, this was all planned before the beginning of time by the Father, by God. The, the plan of redemption, you see, had been set up before even time began because God knows all things. He knows the beginning from the end. In fact, he knew you before you were, even, you were even in your mother's womb. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. And he loves you. And he demonstrated that love toward you and that while you were still a sinner, while we were still sinners, Christ died for, for us. Christ died for you. But that was all set up. This even was set up itself. He had come. Jesus had come to fulfill prophecy and declare that he was the anointed one, the promised one, the promised Messiah. You know, about a year before this very moment, Jesus was uh, out in the wilderness, and, and this was around the area of the Sea of Galilee, and he had large crowds around him. In fact, he had about 5,000 that, uh, that were tired and were hungry. And, uh, and we know, we know the story. We know that with five loaves of bread and two fish, he fed over 5,000 people. And we know that according to scripture, the, the people were so impressed by this that they wanted to make him their king, even at that point. In John 6, 15, it says, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. 
You see, again, they could not take him and make him king because that's not what he came to, to do in that time. He came as a suffering servant to seek and save the lost, to, to die on the cross on our behalf. But the crowd sensed that Jesus had the bearing to be the long-awaited king of Israel. At least that's the, the king of Israel as, as they had hoped that the Messiah would come and be. They wanted an earthly king, a king who would sit upon the throne of David to deliver them from Rome. You know, later Jesus would tell Pilate, and this is when he was, he was being, uh, he was arrested and he was taken before Pilate and he was accused falsely of blasphemy. He said this to Pilate, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But he said, but my kingdom is not from the world. John 18, 36. Oh, there's, there's glory that awaits us. There's a place that God has prepared for us. And one day we will be there. He will make all things new. His kingdom, though, is for this world. It is an offer of salvation known only in Jesus Christ. You see, I say all of this to give us some background and perhaps to apply it to today. Because today, just as then, the world is looking for an earthly savior. Aren't we? We, we see the world falling apart. Just when we think things can't get any worse, it gets worse. We're on this um, trajectory to destruction. And we know that that is what the Lord has warned us of. He's told us about these things. These things will come about. But Jesus said, take heart. I have overcome the world. Today, there's too many people who are looking for an earthly savior. Whoever that may be. Whoever, whoever it is politically that... I know that 245 years ago, we were established as, as a country based on biblical principles. That is not where we're at today. We are not a Christian nation. Far from it. And then we look towards political people of authority to perhaps get us out of this. Listen, as, as a, a fellow American, I, I desire that too. I really do. But I have to tell you, because I know what the word of God says, please brace yourself. Please be prepared. Please stop looking for someone to save you from a financial downfall and complete uh, dismantling of our society. Please, please stop looking to someone. Instead, look to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is more reason why we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves. That is why we need to come together and remind each other of where our trust lies, where our hope lies. You know, I'm reminded of there's this, this thing and I can't get it out of my mind because it is so true. I read something to where it said, you know, Satan thought that he was taking everything from Job. What Satan didn't understand is that to Job, God was his everything. How do we express our love toward God? Is he our everything or are we trusting in our own strength, our own knowledge, our own position, our own bank account? our own elected officials. The people then were looking for an earthly savior. What's happening is today even we're being prepared for the Antichrist, that charismatic man who will save the earth from all its troubles. In Israel, did you know the promised land? 
that less than 1% of the population of Israel are born-again Christians? Isn't that sad? Less than 1% of the people that are living in Israel are born-again Christians. And so they're being primed. We're being primed. The world is being primed for the arrival of the Antichrist, for the presentation of the charismatic man who will save the earth from all of its troubles. But all is taking place just as God said it would. About 4,000 years before Jesus was born, God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15. This is the Proto-Evangelium, which is the first declaration of the gospel. Right? Genesis 3.15. And again, as I remind you, about 500 years before Jesus was born, Zechariah prophesied that Jesus would enter into Jerusalem triumphantly on this specific day, Zechariah 9.9. Today is considered the day Passion Week begins. It is known as Palm Sunday. Having arrived at the Mount, of, the Mount of Olives, Jerusalem can now be seen just beyond the Kidron Valley. And Jesus calls for his disciples to go and to fetch him a donkey that has never been ridden. They again find this to be true. They go into the town and find this donkey. And when they're asked, hey, what are you doing? And I'm paraphrasing says, oh, the Lord has need of it. Oh, okay, go ahead. <laughs> take, take him. And it is, it is this animal of burden that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on. Salvation truly has come. It was on this day, Sunday, that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, weeps for Jerusalem, and then cleanses the temple. All significant for us as we consider these things. We read through Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40, which is the time when Jesus enters into Jerusalem. But Jesus had prepared his disciples in the days leading to his crucifixion. His disciples at the same time had these mixed feelings. They, they weren't sure exactly of what to expect, even though Jesus had told them, in fact, in Mark chapter 10, verse 32, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was going to happen to him. So even though he told them what was going to happen, they were still afraid and amazed. They were, they were in awe of these things. Again, thinking about our own lives and the things that we're confronted with, the things that we experience in life, are we the same way? God has given us his promises, and we, and we even sing out, your promises are yes and amen, right? And then tomorrow, we'll be like, oh, I don't know how I'll make it through this week. I don't know. I'm worried. I'm anxious. Got all wound up, right? Listen, we're, we're no different than these men that were, should have known better, right? Shouldn't we know better, right? That's why it's good to gather together and be reminded of these things, right? Yep, that's me. Man. <laughs> and I'm all wrapped up in the wrong things. We need to ask ourselves, why were they amazed and why were they afraid? I mean, Jesus had just healed the blind beggar by just his word. In fact, Jesus had a discussion with a rich young ruler, which said that he had kept the law from his youth. So what must I do? You know, what, what would it take to be saved? And he said, well, sell everything and then come follow me. Because he knew that his heart was all wrapped up. His security was all wrapped up in his possessions. He went away sorrowful because he had much. He wasn't willing to, to give it all up in order to follow Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus turned around and, and told his disciples, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Mark 10, 25. Their answer, 
Well, then who then can be saved? And then Jesus responded to them, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Jesus had just told his disciples after James and John asked if they could sit at his right hand and at his left in his kingdom. He said, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45. We know that Jesus, just not too uh, much time before that, and the day that he's going into Jerusalem, he enjoys a meal with Zacchaeus where Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Outside of Christ, we're lost. We're condemned. We remain in our sin. Those who remain in their sin are condemned. And Jesus said many other things that would naturally cause fear and amazement. You know, all those miracles, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. But there was one more thing that he said that would be especially frightening or amazing. He said in Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 34, and taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And now they're there in Jerusalem. He goes on and says, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. You see, you and I have this understanding. They in that day did not understand. But today we can look back at that with full understanding. Also, take note, Jesus knew exactly why he was going to Jerusalem. It was for you. Think about that. It was for you, each one of you. He had you in mind. It was to do the will of the Father, but it was for your sake. You see, all of these things for the disciples, they would come back. It would come back to them after his resurrection and his ascension. Jesus had done everything to prepare his disciples for what was to come. But of course, we know that they were still without understanding. And so Jesus sent the two into Jerusalem, regardless of whether they understood or not. At that time, he sent two of his disciples into Jerusalem to bring back a donkey to ride in on, and they found the donkey just as Jesus had said. The disciples spread palm branches and their cloaks on the road before Jesus. It was an entrance fit for a king. They believed Jesus was to deliver the Jews from Roman rule and be their king on earth. But then something happened as he was riding into Jerusalem. I don't know if any of you follow Jerusalem Dateline, but they cover on Facebook and Instagram, they, they cover um, just different events in, in Jerusalem and throughout Israel. And they already recorded, because it already happened in, in Israel and in Jerusalem, um, the, the, the pilgrims, the, the people who go and they observe Palm Sunday, they've already gone down that street that winds down from the Mount of Olives and to the Garden of Gethsemane and across the Brook Kidron and into the area where the place of the crucifixion was in the garden tomb. It's all of that. Now, in this day, though, when they were, they were walking in, they were marching in, you could say, rejoicing and praising work uh, just broke out. I mean, so much so that it annoyed the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Can you tell them, and I'm paraphrasing, can you tell them to shut up, your disciples? Have them Stop. see with a loud voice they didn't care who was hearing they were unashamed unhindered without any concern for who would be offended or perhaps how radical they would sound do you have a radical faith you know what a radical faith is is just simply a faith in Jesus Christ complete trust in him 
the world will say that's a radical faith. You're fanatical. No, I'm just a follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, he tells us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him, right? If you love mother, father, son, daughter, whoever more than me, then you are not worthy of being my disciple. You're not, you're not my disciple, is what Jesus said. So we need to consider him above everything else. Why? Because he is our hope. He is our savior. He's our God, not someone else. Do you allow other people to dictate how you live your life? Then, by the way, they're your God. Because what's happening is you're minding them and you're obeying them over God. You, you see how simple it can get. You know, when people start, you know, I don't know. I know when I first came to Christ, they called me all kinds of names, right? The people who I thought were my friends. Uh, I have family that kind of, not explicitly, but implicitly, kind of just turn the other way. Oh, he's, he's a party pooper. He's no fun anymore. Why? Because I don't party anymore like they do. I, I didn't have any desire to. Desire to just walk with the Lord. Listen, we, we are to be unapologetic in our, in our worship in a life that is completely surrendered to Jesus Christ. Apologizing to no one. Well, these people were worshiping with a loud voice. What did they rejoice and praise God for? For all the mighty works that they had seen. This is what they were praising him for in that time. What have you seen, though? What do you know? Who do you know Jesus as? Is he Savior? Is he Lord? Is he God? Is he the Son of Man? Is he the Son of God? 1 John 1, 1 through 4 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Oh, the more people come to the Lord, the more people surrender their lives to Jesus Christ, <laughs> the, the more I rejoice. This is the very thing that God desires, that none should perish, but that more come to repentance. Oh, let us rejoice when we see someone else surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. When one person repents, oh, the heavens go crazy. <laughs> they rejoice. In heaven, there's a rejoicing over one sinner that repents. We ought to do the same. The Apostle John was one of those who were with Jesus at this time, time that we're talking about right now. He was one of the disciples that were with him at his crucifixion. He's one of the men who had witnessed Jesus perform miracle after miracle and who knew Jesus was indeed who he said he was. But he was also one of the people who were rejoicing with the crowds for all the mighty works that they had seen. Is your rejoicing and praise of Jesus conditional depending on what he's doing for you in the moment? I hope it's not. Hope it's consistent. If the days are good, if the, my week is going good, then I rejoice in the Lord. If it's going bad, I wonder, why, why has he forsaken me? Like, where is he? You know, like as if our lives are supposed to be like, uh, as we would consider blessed all the time. You know, it's not the way it works. He is sovereign. In fact, he allows us to go through certain trials because there's a work that needs to be done in our own hearts. We are to acknowledge the things that God does for us and has done for us, beginning with salvation. C.H. Spurgeon said this, quote, And yet I suppose those disciples had their trials as we have ours. There might have been a sick wife at home or a child withering with disease, close quote. And yet they were all rejoicing and praising God. But then there was opposition. If you've experienced opposition, just know that even Jesus experienced opposition. Verse 39 says, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, 
Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. There is nothing like rejoicing, praising God, and worshiping him that gets the, the attention of the enemies of God. You know that? Again, I, I tell you that, you know, we just read, it was the, the religious leaders that were telling him, hey, you need to quiet your disciples. God's people are in the right place when praising Jesus because it's our hearts and our minds that are positioned on him. Our hearts go to him. Our hearts trust in him. Our hearts are content in him. Our hearts find comfort in him. Our, our hearts even come to know forgiveness in him. And no one can change that. No one can take that away. You want to get out of a state of depression? Begin to genuinely worship God. There's no way that you can worship God and stay in that place of depression. There's no way. Just start. Why? Because your eyes are taken off of yourself. You start worshiping God. You lift up your hands. You lift up your voice. You lift up your heart. And you acknowledge him for who he is. And no matter what comes my way, I will never forsake you, God. I will follow you because you are my God and my Savior. I surrender my life to you once more. And whatever it is that you are doing in my life in this very moment, I know that you are sovereign, you are on the throne, and you are worthy to be praised. Because you are my hope, and one day I will know you as my prize. Can you stay depressed? While doing that, you can't because you just focused on the Lord. Think about how much He loves you. I want to, as we conclude, we're going to read the verses 41 through 46 because what we see here is. Jesus enters, but he also weeps over Jerusalem. In verse 41, it says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. This came about in A.D. 70. Saul came about. He, he said it, and it actually took place. But Jesus weeps. He, remember, he entered in on a donkey. He didn't enter in on a, on a horse. Revelation 19, he will enter in on a, on a white horse. The King of kings and the Lord of lords will come in and he will subdue all of his enemies. But for now, he comes in on a donkey, humble, as a suffering servant, to die in your place. But even upon entering the city of Jerusalem, Jesus knew that the people did not truly know peace in him. And so he wept. They didn't know the hour of their visitation. Do you know the hour of your visitation? There's a reason why you're here. And, and for anyone who's watching online, there's a reason why you're watching online. To hear this very thing. To know that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the only way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. If we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. For all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For them, they did, not, they did not know the things that make, make for peace. The question is for us, for you. Do you? Do you know that it, it, you can find peace in only one person? That is in Jesus Christ. Though the world fall apart, still I will follow Jesus. Because I know, we know, that in him not only do we know peace, but we have the hope of eternal life, having been forgiven of our sins being saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 
This was the day that Daniel had prophesied about, that the Messiah, the prince, would come into Jerusalem. He said that it would be 483 years from the day of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem to the day the Messiah would come to Jerusalem. And guess what? It was exactly 483 years since that day. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, was fulfilled. Psalm 118, 24, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And lastly, Jesus cleanses. Verse 45 says, And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Listen, Jesus' love is not just in the expression of emotion, not just in tears, he, although he, he demonstrated that. It's not in wishful thinking, but in righteous action. Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Yes, he entered Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, and he received the people's praise, and he wept. But he also cleared out what needed to be cleared out. You see, Jesus is not tolerant of sin. He came to confront sin and to deal with sin. In fact, you can see in the exchange with certain people, I'll just give you one example. The woman who was accused of adultery. Once he said, where are your accusers? She said, there are none. He said, neither will I go and sin no more, right? You see, the whole reason why Jesus came was to judge our sin. Our sin is what placed Jesus on the cross. Why would we trample that grace underfoot by continuing to habitually participate and partake of sin? The very sin that placed him on the cross. No, he's not tolerant of sin. He had come to confront it and defeat it with his own shed blood to atone for our sin. And in this moment, Jesus even drove out the thieves. That doesn't sound very loving, does it? He wasn't very understanding. Maybe he should have spoken to him. No, he was zealous for the house of the Lord. He had a righteous anger, which was right. And he drove out all of those thieves. Because Jesus stated that his house is a house of prayer for all nations, for all people. And this is how Jesus, the king, entered Jerusalem, expressed his love for the people, and cleansed what was not right. You know, in just a few days, Jesus will be brought into Jerusalem in chains to be beaten, mocked, ridiculed, spat upon, and hung on a cross for the sin of the world. Hosanna. Save, I pray. Save. Save now. Is that where your heart is, save now, save me now. Not from any, anything politically or not from my circumstances even. Jesus is not a genie who will all of a sudden miraculously and, you know, just solve all your problems. No, some things you need to go through and figure them out and exercise wisdom and discernment. I would recommend that you read God's word that you may gain an understanding and wisdom to know how to deal with those things. But, what the Lord is interested in, above all and preeminently, is your salvation. That you may come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because they laid palm branches in their clothing before Jesus, but Jesus desires that you lay down your own life before him, that you may truly know life eternal. Palm Sunday is indeed a king's welcome into Jerusalem. But it's not a city that Jesus seeks to conquer for the people today, but rather that all would know that he has conquered sin by his shed blood. And by grace through faith in him, he desires that all would come to know salvation. Do you know salvation? The King of Kings desires above all to reign in your life. Has he gained entrance there? Have you laid down your life? that you may gain it eternally in Jesus Christ. Today I pray and I hope that we can all rejoice with one voice, with one heart, in one spirit, 
to one Lord and one Savior, that he indeed is Messiah. He's the king that rules over our hearts as we've all surrendered our lives to him as Lord and Savior. If you do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation for you. For everyone else, I hope that perhaps going through this passage here in Luke, you would be reminded of who it is that needs to, to, to reign in, in our hearts, in our very lives, who's worthy of being praised. We glory in him and him alone. We boast in him and knowing him as Savior. So either way, may he have his way with us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for the King of kings, the Lord of lords, having at this time entered into Jerusalem just as it has, had been prophesied in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, Lord, that he would enter into Jerusalem on the full of a donkey as a suffering servant, as the one who came to seek and save the lost. Lord, knowing full well that just days from now, he would be put in chains and delivered over to the Gentiles to be crucified. Oh, Lord, thank you. For you demonstrated your love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. May we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. For anyone here who does not, again, know Jesus as Lord and Savior, perhaps this morning I ask, Lord, and I pray, Lord, that you would move in their hearts that today, Lord, they would be drawn to you by your kindness. Lord, that at this very moment, they would confess their sins to you. Lord, and, and repent in great sorrow and grief, knowing that they have offended you. And their sins, knowing that their sin separates them from you. And today, Lord, they declare, asking for forgiveness, repenting of their sins, that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior today is indeed the, the day of salvation. And Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for who you are and your love for us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.